Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today, we are doing something a little unique. We're hearing from Naeem McKee, who was on the show Naked and Afraid. The The show is out right now. It came out uh, kind of around the middle of last month, uh, the most recent season of Naked and Afraid. And, you know, if you're at all in touch with television or reality TV, you, you've probably heard of that show over the years. They're in like their 20th season or something. Um, it's a wild concept. It's people literally being naked, thrown out into the wilderness, having to survive on teams, and they can bring like one or two items, and the show just captures their experience. And so uh, Naeem has been on twice, and we're going to hear about this most recent trip what that was like, some of the misconceptions, how much of an adventure it really is, a little behind the scenes. So this most recent episode, nine challengers were abandoned in a remote tropical island with no maps or tools, miles away from civilization. Uh, They were in teams of three, and they swam to different ecosystems on the same island, sun-scorched beaches, twisting, difficult mangrove swamps to navigate through, dense jungle, um, and they had to all basically go on their own survival journey. They got to use orientation and navigation skills, survive off debris and wreckage that they come across. No knives, no pots, no fire starters, no anything. They got to scavenge for things and find their own food. It's it, it's something a lot of us might daydream about surviving and maybe doing ourselves, you know, get dropped off on an island. I've actually know plenty of people that do that yearly as like their, you know, retreat. I've never done it. I've obviously, you know, when you're out there camping and backpacking and whatnot, you got to, to a certain degree, survive, but usually can bring a lot with you. I've never just been dropped off somewhere and said, hey, survive. I'm sure that is an amazingly profound and unique experience. Well, Naeem is awesome to talk to. This was a great conversation. And if you'd like, you can check out this season of Naked and Afraid Castaways on Sundays at 8 p.m. on the Discovery Channel. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Hey, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today, very unique adventure. I I don't think we've ever had anybody from Naked and Afraid on the show. Maybe people that have been on since talking to them, but never like to talk about this. And I'm I'm actually really excited because I know a lot of people that watch the show and you always wonder, like, what is it really like? What's really going on that, that, you know, people don't see on camera? So Naeem McKee, I actually didn't get your last name pronunciation, but uh, I think that's right. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, man? You got it right. Naeem McKee, I'm in the house. Yep. Two-time alum of the television show Naked and Afraid, lifelong adventurer, father, joyous ex-husband, current boyfriend, and all-around super amazing individual. <laughs> Man, I, 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 you got to give your own intro because I couldn't have done it that well. I couldn't have done it justice, <laughs> man. That is awesome. Where are you coming from today? That's always my first question. And if that isn't home, because, you know, for an adventurer, you could be anywhere, you know, where's home for you? Uh, well, today the roots are firmly planted. I am in Colorado. I am in Centennial, which is just south of Denver. Um, that's where I call home. I'm originally from the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been to Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati a lot. <laughs> I feel like Ohio... <laughs> I tell you, I feel sorry for you. It's great for me. You know, it's the place that 
that made me who I am. But yeah, it's a, it's a good town, man. It's gotten much better over the years. Oh yeah. I actually was looking you up a little bit. I saw that you went to school and actually served as a professor at Metro State. That's where my wife went to college for a little while. We lived there for quite a few years, moved to Florida recently, but I was like, no way, Metro State, University of Denver, and you live out there. That's awesome. So are you like, wh- what do you like to do in Colorado? Are you like a skier? Do you get out in the mountains? What's kind of like your adventures of choice? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, everything is, this is such a wonderful state to live in. Every, really, everything is here. And so I've, 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 I try and do everything that I can. I'm a snowboarder, so I love getting up in the mountains to snowboard during the winter. During the off season, I do triathlons. Love to swim. I especially love out, uh, like the outdoor swimming. I do a cold water uh, immersion um, group every Saturday morning up in Boulder and jump in the Boulder Creek. And that's a year round gig. I do that. Done whitewater rafting. Love the bicycle, you know, cycling. I love cycling. Lots of great trails to cycle. I run pretty avidly. I backpack and camp. My, my girlfriend has done every 14er in the state. She's putting together an app on the Colorado Trail and mapping out every great campsite, every place where there's water, everywhere you could you could find a fire. So I've been sort of scrambling with her on the weekends and then just lifelong hustle, own my own business in addition to to working a full-time gig. And just, you know, for me, just I try not to be bored. And so Colorado offers, you know, there's really no excuse to stay indoors. Dang, I, sh- I should have asked you, what what do you not do? Because that would have been, <laughs> been a shorter list. That's, man, you do it all. This show, this podcast was born in, in the front range, really. Recently took it to the East Coast. But like The Roots, a lot of our stories still, you know, feature the 14ers, feature Colorado. And, you know, that that's kind of where the heart of this show was born. So, man, that's awesome. You're doing literally everything. And triathlons, too. I was just at the Lake Placid Ironman, like, last week with my family. That was their first one ever. We didn't do it. We were there with Athletic Bruin. It was amazing. It was just an awesome setting. Like that was such a huge triathlon, such a long one, a full Ironman. That was epic. It makes you want to do one. I, I've done a few, but not not recently, but that's awesome, man. What a what a cool, I, I love talking to folks that are taking advantage of where they are because not every guest on the show lives in a place like Colorado, but you don't have to, to just enjoy where you are, but I'm so glad to hear you're just going after it out there. Um, beautiful place. So, well, tell us about, and, and Sophie, you can jump in. I'm not sure how much you can share, you know, I'm sure, you know, but like, I, I do want to just ask kind of like behind the scenes a little bit, but we'll start with like your first experience with Naked and Afraid. How, how'd you get looped into this? What was that process? Like, was it like, Hey, applications open I'm going to throw my name in the hat and then it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. Or like, what was, what was the process? Where did it enter your mind? So it's really the process of getting on neck and afraid is really, it's two stories in one. It's sort of the process of finding the show, doing the application, you know, getting selected. And then there was the mental process of like coming to a point where this was something I wanted to do in my life. And so I, it's sort of hard to tell that story without telling both parts. I, you know, to make a story short, I, I was a VP of marketing at a company called Above Board out in New York. I was working remotely in Colorado. And, you know, my whole life has been really just this relentless pursuit of, of excellence, just trying to get as far as I could, you know, dynamically in my career, always pushing myself. And 
you know, I got to this point where I, I land this DP job and I'm sort of thinking like, man, no, the, the dog days are behind you, you know, like you've made it. And instead what I found was all those emotions that I thought, you know, what resolved themselves on the way up the ladder, just were still there, you know, like self-doubt, lack of confidence, just feeling just this, this insane feeling of, of, of being uncomfortable questioning your value and whether or not this was the right decision for you. And I'll never forget, we were on a meeting at work and we were talking about reality shows. And one of the guys I work with was like a finalist for the bachelorette. And they asked what, what show would you do? And I said, I'd do naked and afraid if I could. And everyone was like, Oh, you'd be perfect. Go do it. Yeah. And it was like, just that right point of like, yeah, I'm really, there's something not right right now. And I've always wanted to do this. And I got like 12 people egging me on so I went out to the internet and just Google, like, how do you, how do I get on naked and afraid? I found a website, filled out like a web form, like name, email, why you want to do the show. And sure enough, like they called me a couple of weeks later and I just, you know, as it got more serious, you know, that like all the steps got more serious. I just realized it was something I had to do. And the, the great thing was my job above board was fantastic about giving me the space to do that understanding sort of where I was in my journey um, and, and giving me sort of the, like, which is rarely happens in companies, giving me an opportunity to, to go and explore and find a way to sort of, you know, you know, right my ship or turn my, what is the, the, the motivational speaker says, turn your sails in a new direction, <laughs> same river, new, point your sails in a new direction. So, so that's what I did. And, you know, that's how I got on the show. And I've always been outdoorsy and, I've got a past, you know, obviously, you know, I've got some experience with survival, but, you know, to put all those things together into that one choice, it, it really came down to those two things. When it started getting real and especially the first time where you, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't have any experience with, with the show and, and you're about to be naked for, you know, weeks at a time on, on some remote location. What, when, when it started to get real, what were the people around you thinking when you broke the news to them? Was it like, you know, either your kids like dad, you lost your mind or, you know, buddy, you're, you're going crazy. Like, this is not how you deal with getting stuck in life. Like, what are you doing? What were, what were the people around you saying? My ex-wife at the time was super supportive. Actually, she's real supportive. We were fans of the show and she knew I was always saying, I can do this. I can do this. And she was always saying, well, you should do it. You should do it. So it really wasn't a huge surprise. I think she might've asked once or twice, like, are you sure that you really want to do this? My kids were not excited about it, but I think it was just more that dad was going to, they're older, they're like 16 and 13 and totally like, you know, like we got good stuff going for us, dad. Don't you ruin it, you know, <laughs> by being naked on television. So there's more of that kind of kind of vibe. Now my siblings and my family, it's like they they all know me. You know, they my, in fact, from the moment I told my youngest sister, there's a chance I could be on the show. She's like, oh, you're going to be on the show. There's no doubt on my mind, knowing your per there's 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 zero chance you're not gonna do it. So everyone was real supportive. I think my friends didn't quite understand it. Um I, I you know, because to them they're like, why like most people work their lives to find comfort, you know, like why would you want to go do something like this? I, I realized sort of as I've gotten older, I realized that like not everyone around you is gonna understand the choices you make in life. Not everyone is going to understand why you, why you do the things you do, why, why think certain things are necessary to you. And there were some people that were sort of naysayers, you know, that 
that, that took, took a shot at me. It didn't matter to me. I knew what I needed and I knew what I wanted to do. And it's, I've, I've never regretted that decision. It was, it was very easy. And for most of the people around me that knew me well, they were very, very supportive. The show, Naked and Afraid. Naked is a given. You know, you're going to have to be naked. But afraid, I mean, that's, you know, that's that maybe a choice. There's a lot more choice in that part of it. How did you feel getting ready for this? Was it, holy, what am I about to do? Or were you excited? Like, what what was the feeling going in? And what were you maybe nervous about as it got closer? People that watch a show like Naked and Afraid, you know, sometimes what you don't get is like just how exposed you really are in the environment that you're in. And so in the run-up to it, they're, they're constantly explaining to you, you know, what you're going to face. You're going to face starvation. You could face lack of water. You could face illnesses that, you know, are life-altering illnesses. Exposure to wildlife that, you know, is some of the most dangerous wildlife on the planet. There, There is, you know, like, safety is a nominal notion, when you participate in the challenge like Naked and Afraid. And I think the first time I did it, I think it was actually, <laughs> I was way more naive about like <laughs> all those, those things, you know, like the degree to which you, 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 you could potentially, you know, have life altering changes. But as soon as you get out into the open, as soon as you realize it, you realize just how exposed you are. You're, you know, you're trampling through the brush and some of the most dense vegetation, you know, on the planet, there are, you know, pit vipers, there's the fertilance that's out there, there's scorpions, you know, there's all kinds of stinging insects, there's jaguars. You know, I was exposed to temperature swings anywhere from, you know, 80 degrees during the daytime to 30 degrees at night, in which case you're naked. I mean, there is a real risk of hypothermia. There's a real risk of, of falling asleep and not waking up. You're drinking from local water supplies. You're, boil, you know, on the first adventure, boiling our water, but that's not to say that, you know, you won't have an immune response to something in the environment and, and come home with something that could be life altering. And so, uh, you know, I think the big thing in terms of that, that fear is a, is a healthy component and going up to it. I, I just, I didn't know what to expect. I was just super excited to just be going on some adventure and, you know, I was all full of, 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 you know, piss and vinegar to get out there and take on the elements. I, you know, completely naive, about a the mental challenge that would come with that type of exposure and then the very real physical consequences that come with it as well do you do anything to prepare or do they kind of want you to not be prepared i went to a nude yoga class to, because i actually was i had a lot of body image issues man i was like i'm not sure i'm ready to be oh i i, like, I would be mortified <laughs> if i had to be naked and not only in front of just people but with cameras following me, man, I, yeah, I, I, I could, I could not, I don't think I could do it. So I went to this nude yoga class, you know, and it was, it was really, it was all guys that were participating. The, te the teacher was female, older lady, but it was really great for getting past that, you know, sort of getting past those body image issues and sort of worrying about your form. Like it was fantastic. And so I did that. That really helped with, with the nudity portion. Be, on the run-up, I, I went through like I just went through and did all my trapping skills. There was a there's a survival instructor down in Colorado Springs. I went and hung out with him and we talked about like what would be unique about a primitive survival challenge, you know, like where you, you're potentially exposed. And he was like, it was a lot of, you know, finding five or six solutions for for one thing versus 
okay, this is, I'll build a shelter and I'm building it using paracord and like tools that like I may not have when I'm out in the bush. The other thing was on the weekends, I went up to the, to St. Mary, St. Mary's Glacier would hike up to the top, you know, sleep out in the cold, sleep out in the elements, Wow. you know, restrict the spring less and less tools to restrict myself till I was, you know, really just there with a knife and like, you know, a very basic implement to, to boil water. And so, you know, I was, I, I prepared that way and yeah, that's, and just read, I've read a ton about Argentina. I read a lot about, you know, bushcraft and whatever I could get my hands on to just give me that sort of mental confidence that I, I had all my skills in place and that I could dial those things up and use them as needed. What were some of the things that you wish you would have prepared more for that you didn't think would be a problem? Because looking at any adventure, any challenge in life, you you have a feeling of what you think you need to know. I mean, parenthood, same way, like, oh, I got to get ready. Then there's these things that you just never could have even thought about until you get into it. Was there anything like that, that you had just like a realization, like, wow, this is, I had no idea this would be part of it. So many things. So many <laughs> things. It was like a book, like, I'm sure. So <laughs> Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. You know, when I was there, I met my partner. You meet your partner literally out in the field, butt naked for the first time. And my partner is, is such an, a, an amazing human being, really like, like a sister to me. And I think one thing you'll, you'll see in that, especially in that first episode, is just how close that bond really was. And so I'm meeting her. I, I don't think I ever prepared for the fact that I was very real about my own mortality going into that show and what all the things that could happen to me. What I wasn't prepared for is the fact that you are also a spectator to someone else going through those things. And so, you know, Rachel had an issue one night where she went into hypo, she went into the early stages of hypothermia. And it's by the grace of God that I woke up first and, and sort of found her and helped to get to bring her back. But I never took into, I never really considered that everything that you're experiencing, you're watching somebody else experience and watching that can be devastating, especially someone that you grow to love and, and you, you start, you have this deep bond with, you really see yourselves as like two people going through this challenge, watching her go through that. The fear of like, after that, I was terrified to go to sleep at night, you know, cause it was like, if I go to sleep, well, well, I wake up and she won't be there. Or she, do I want like, how will I feel if like the person that I was doing this challenge with doesn't make it to the end because I did something wrong or I thought, you know, that was real legitimate fear. And it was also a fear for myself, you know, like of, of dying. You know, I had kids at the time and I never for once thought, you know, like when you, when you're playing with temperatures in the thirties and you're exposed and all you've got is, you know, a small fire, um, you know, your, your life is on the line. Every time you close your eyes for bed, your life's on the line. You know, that was real genuine fear. And mentally, I was, I was not in a place mentally to be able to push through it. I just wasn't, you know, and every day starts as like a small voice in your head, maybe whispering that like, 
holy crap, you need to, you might want to consider like an exit plan here. How the heck are you getting out of here? And then as the days progress, it becomes a screaming voice in your head that's telling you this is all wrong. You know, like, why are you doing this? You know, and it's really just that fear. And I was, you know, I wasn't prepared for it. And I think, you know, talking to people, I think a lot of people experience that in their lives. You know, they, we end up in a place where we're uncomfortable and the mind just starts telling us like, get out of here, get away, you know, stop doing this. And, you know, I think the one main, probably the best lesson I learned from that first adventure was that you have to push beyond that voice. Like the willpower, the human will is something that looks right in the face of that fear and right in the face of your mortality and says like, no, like I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to persevere through this because, you know, hope without willingness is irrationality. Hope plus willingness is one of the most powerful things in the world. And like, you got to find that willingness and you got to dig deep for it. And you got to push through like the things that, 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 that are t- like that voice is telling you to give up and let go. you got to push through it. And to me, you know, it's really it, it, coming back. It was like having been to that line and having come up short, it told me that that was really where I needed to focus my efforts. And so that was the thing there that was really surprising to me. That was the one thing that sort of, I wasn't prepared for when I went in. What is it like being in that situation with cameras? You know, it's like, it's one thing to just be out there you know, I've been in situations where it's like, you know, you're out there and having to survive and, and face that mental toughness. But what is it like when there's people documenting the whole thing? Do you just kind of have to tune it out or just act like it's not there? I'm not sure what kind of they, they want you to do. Like, hey, just pretend they're not there. Or don't interact. But like, how was that for you? Because that seems like such a, a just just very unique, you know what I mean? Very unique situation to be in. Yeah, it's a mix, right? So cameras are there and they're there to help tell the story of what's happening, right? Like in the moment, you don't think about what it is that they're seeing, you know, like you just, you're so focused on what's in front of you. Honestly, there were times when it was annoying because there's a, you know, I'd be, you know, trying to do something strenuous and you know, you haven't eaten in days and you're all grumpy and they're like, Hey, can you explain what you're doing? And you're like, I am trying to break a tree branch right now because I'm breaking tree branches this morning. Is while that good enough? they're like eating a sandwich, <laughs> you're like... They do not get in front of you. They, they, in every way. So here's the thing. The camera people in a lot of ways are, are part of the adventure. They're almost like, they're suffering with you in a lot of ways. Whatever you're exposed to, they're exposed to as well. I mean, they have, you know, they, they have maybe some modicum of protection, but it's not much nicer for them. You know, they're exposed to insects and they're exposed to the extremes in temperature. They're exposed to the rain. You know, they're walking up and down those same cliffs and they're not looking down because they got a camera. They're not looking for, you know, vipers. There's a trust relationship, you know? And so the camera crew in some ways is part of the adventure with you. One of the guys that, that was there with me, there was a Naked and Afraid episode out in Botswana where they got charged by a, by a herd of elephants. The camera crew got, and the, and the survivalists got charged by elephants. And I mean, I asked the camera guy, like, you know, what are you thinking, Dan? And he's like, I'm pointing the camera towards the elephants and wondering if I'm shooting my own death. And I'm just like, it's one thing to like do this as a participant, you know, and I'm going to be in the field for a certain amount of time. It's a whole nother thing to do this 
year round and go from, I mean, you're going to the most inhospitable places like, okay, you get to spend a, you know, a, a month in the desert. Yay. You get to go spend a month in like a rainforest. Yay. You know, like you're not, these guys are, you know, they're wonderful human beings, but that's what it's like when the camera's around you sort of, sometimes they annoy you by making you have to repeat things. But a lot of times, you know, they're sort of, sort of your brethren and suffering, you know, they, they, they're there with you and they maintain a positive attitude, you know, throughout the experience. It's, they're quite remarkable people. The good news is the cameraman never dies. So as long as you got the camera in hand, <laughs> you'll be fine. Charging Buffalo or, 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 or grizzly bear or whatever it is, you'll be all right. Dude, that is so crazy. Yeah. That's probably there. I mean, there's probably so many moments that they go through that they, that you probably could, you know, could make an argument, man, that should have been on camera. Cause that is epic. I, I remember asking somebody else that like, Hey, is there any bit, is there been anything that's ever happened where you're like, I wish they would have caught what they just did on camera. Cause that was epic. And they're not, you know, they can't, they can't. So the element of being naked, obviously that's a big part of the show because like you realize just how vulnerable the human body is. What part of that becomes the most annoying? I would say for me, because I'm so pale would be getting just absolutely destroyed by the sun or that threat all the time. Is that an issue? Like the sun, is it your feet that are always out there? You're not used to being like just barefoot to that level all the time. Some people are, but not everybody. I'm not like what part of that becomes the most annoying or the most threatening thing? Yeah. Great question. You know, being African-American, man, is awesome because I don't get, I've never had a sunburn in my life. I've All never right. It sucks. It absolutely that. sucks. All right. <laughs> no sunburn, lotion required, no sunburn. So the sun wasn't, wasn't a factor. In fact, I would say in Argentina, the sun, even for my partner, the sun was a very welcome. Now, mind you, we're under the canopy in some ways. So, you know, the sun was more illuminating, but not as direct maybe as it would be in some environments. There's two things I think that are really difficult, you know, in terms of being naked. One, the feet are, you know, like it's it's horrible. I stepped on like a three inch thorn; it broke off in my oh, foot. God, barely walked for a day. You know, just the wear and tear on your feet is absolute torture. You know, like you know they, they blister. You're not in a place where you can clean any wounds that you get uh, very easily. So you know your feet are just taking a beating. And then the, probably the thing that maybe no one realizes is it's like when you go to sleep, we've just by virtue of sleeping in beds for as long as we've had, we've trained our bodies to feel like there are there's very few pressure points that we're exposed to when we're asleep. So when you lay down on the ground, when you lay down on rocky ground or dirt or rocks, every one of those little things, you know, is like sort of. You can feel it. They, they create these little pressure points. You wake up during the night and you got like three little rocks pressed into your skin and you have to scrape them off. You know, you're the insects just, you're like a, you know, you're like a golden corral for insects, man. <laughs> They're just like, it's kind of like, what? This guy must be the dumbest creature in the jungle. You know, like the mosquitoes are just like, there's nothing you can do to, to prevent, you know, yourself from being eaten alive. And People have asked me coming back, well, why didn't you make clothes? And why didn't you? And it's like, you know, do you realize where you are? Like, they're like, well, you could put leaves down and sleep. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, have you ever raked leaves before? You know how long a dead leaf lasts? Like, 
it's dead in like a day. And now I just got a feast for ants, you know? So, mm. you know, it's a lot of it is like, there's ways to mitigate it, but in a lot of ways, you just have to sort of suffer through it. Uh, that's, that's really what you realize is that the, the exposure of being naked just gives you more elements to have to suffer through. And so, you know, you have to, you have to just sort of will yourself and not like try not to feel that pain, you know, it's the most like, or just not focus on it, but the feet laying down the casual tree lashes, you know, I fell into the, to the river at one point in Argentina that was, and there was leeches in it. That was, that wasn't fun. Uh, you know, you just, it just ramps up your exposure, you know, to say the least. And then at nighttime when it's cold, I mean, you talk about a whole new element, you know, it's one thing to be outdoors in the thirties, you know, that's cold. Even when you have a braided sleeping bag and you got a fire and you've got, you know, hats and gloves, that's still semi-comfortable. You know, being naked is a whole new level in that type of condition. You know, it's a whole new level. I do a lot of trips in Florida where I'm from in, uh, camping trips and I bring people in the lot, you know, it's like, ah, you don't need a sleeping bag. And I think that every time, especially this time of year and just last week, two weeks ago, did a trip with like 20 people and you lay down, it's sweltering hot when you go to sleep, like at nine or eight or nine, cause it's dark, you know, there's nothing to do really when you're camping and it gets dark unless you just want to shine a light for hours. So you just end up going to bed earlier. Man, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, it doesn't matter what time of year it is, you're cold. If you're laying on top of that sleeping bag and you you either get inside or you get something to cover up, at least for me and a lot of people I talk to, I can't imagine in a place that would fluctuate more. And it's only like 80 degrees outside. It's just that exposed skin is so vulnerable to any sort of change in humidity or temperature, especially when it's just sitting still out there, just bombarded by the environment. So I can only imagine a place like that that could fluctuate so much more and you're just out in it. That seems to me like it would be the hardest dealing with that lack of, of rest or quality rest. What part of it felt easier than you expected? Funny enough, the food part of it and the hunger part was a lot easier than I thought. What do you, what do, you do about that? What, what's like for folks not familiar with the show, you don't have anything. No, no, you don't have anything. Nobody, people always ask, I bet they throw a power bar out there like in the woods and they're like, oh, look, you found it. You can eat it. Like, you know, and it's like, no, none of that happens. You're, you're not, the, the, no one is, it's, there's no, there's no giveaways in that show. So you are looking for things that you can eat in the natural environment. So in Argentina, for example, we found these tubers. They were basically like, it looked kind of like an aloe plant, but underneath it, the roots like, you know, were like tubers when you pulled them apart. Uh, we could boil those and eat them. They were... And it's up to you to figure this out. Like you, you could be getting poison for all you know. Yeah, you got to know what you can and can't eat. Wow. So yeah, so we knew that that was edible. There was a nut that, that grew there, very, very tiny nut, took a lot of work. We had to sort of roast them, dry roast them for a while to, to make them edible, but they were, th those were edible. And then fishing, you know, was, was something I did as well. And so I've never done primitive fishing. In fact, I would say just outside of negative and afraid, I'm probably, you know, a fairly mediocre fisherman, <laughs> probably the best way to describe it. I'm good at it. I do know the 
I'm good at all the setup and the bait types and all that. But in terms of like, you know, being like a like someone that if if I was going out in the wild and there was someone that could fish better, I would literally give them everything. Here you go, man. But we were able to catch. I was able to catch catfish in Argentina, and that supplied you know some much needed. We got two meals out of it. We got you know we grilled basically grilled the fish, which was absolutely delicious. I can imagine, man. <laughs> Boiled all the bones and and things that we didn't want to eat and made basically a fish soup, a fish stew, kind of like a light broth, which we ate that night when it was cold. And it was like just all, all the difference in the world of having a belly full of like hot liquid versus, you know, like just going to bed after drinking some water, you know. So how did you catch the fish? What do you do? How did you figure that out? So if you can imagine... You know, we were we were in this place. It was called the Impenetrable Jungle, and there was a bit of a bluff. And at the base of that bluff was this sort of free flowing river called the Rio Bermejito. It's a freshwater river, very very muddy, opaque water. I had the feeling that there was going to be catfish in that water. Just bottom, like people near that shoreline, there are going to be fish near that shoreline at some level. You know, sometimes you're just trying to find like where am I putting the line out? There was a current uh, to it, so. I brought for my, we can bring one item. I brought braided fishing line, like a 99 pound braided fishing line. And then I brought these treble hooks. You know, to me, people sometimes bring just a single, you know, a single J hook. And that's the worst of fish, you know, like a treble hook, essentially. Yeah. You're using three times the bait, but it's a guaranteed snack. Nothing very rarely is anything going to bite down on a treble hook and pull your bait. So I knew that that was a better that was going to be, to me, a better hook for a survival situation. It also could be useful for making a trap or something like that, too. Because Yeah, that's true. Like a mini grappling hook. And so the first thing I did, at first I was like kind of building the pole and like seeing if I could put it out in the water. And I was just like, this is dumb. You know, like standing out here for hours is dumb. So what I did was actually tie off a line onto a tree and... It was Dan just trying to get it to the right depth for where the fish were. So I used a stick as like a bobber and got it to the right depth. And then it was finding the right bait. And it turned out, luckily it rained. The rain was like a blessing and a curse. It was freezing cold. And all you could do is blow it on a fire for eight hours. But the other thing it did was it exposed that there was actually grubs underneath the soil. And the fish loved the grubs. They, they didn't like much else, but grubs they loved. So putting a few grubs on the hook, you know, you, you started to see it real quick. And sure enough, I got that bite on that line, man. It was, you want to talk about yelling and screaming, like what is a uh, Walt Whitman says, release my barbaric yelp. I mean, it was like yelling and screaming. And that's how I caught that fish. It was just a deadline, a deadline sit. And, you know, he came up and, you know, he was just at the right depth. He bit down and I grabbed that hook. And I'll tell you what, man, that catfish took, he was out of the water for a good five minutes and he was still flopping around. Wow. I hit it right at the center of the head with a knife. It still flopped for a good minute. It was a tough, tough SOB, but that's just, that was how I caught fish and that's how we ate. You know, it was great. So you were you pretty happy with the item you brought? You know, I brought my my strategy was to bring like 30 things and see like, okay, which one of these things will I bring in the field? So I showed up when I went through Argentina and they I was going through customs. They opened, I had like a gun case with me. They opened it up and I had like, you know, a machete, four knives, a bush sword. I had a blow gun and blow darts, axes. I mean, she probably, the lady looked at me like, 
what the hell are you coming here to do? You know? <laughs> What's going on here? I'm a Spanish speaker, though. And funny enough, the show comes on in Argentina. And so she knew about the show. So she talked. She got. She was a fan. So we talked for a good five minutes about the show. And she was all excited. And she's like, oh, that's a good item to bring. Oh, yeah, that's a good item to bring. You know, like. And so, yeah, it was, it was funny. But, yeah, I, I ended up with the braided fishing line. It was great. We could use it. You could use the braided fishing line for rope because you could just basically rebraid it and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's plenty of it. It held about a, I mean, one strand was over a hundred pounds, you know? So it, it just, there was no fish that was going to break the line really. So you have multiple uses of it. So I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good find. And of course, getting a fish with it made it worth his weight in gold. And do your partner, do they get to bring something too? Yeah, they got to bring something. She brought a knife. Perfect. I was going to say that's like seems to be the most popular item. And and so you kind of have all your bases covered there. Dang, great strategy. That makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask, like, what did you end up catching the fish with? But that's 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 genius. That's perfect. What level of resourcefulness or moment? Maybe it was that one that you were most proud of that you kind of had to think on your feet and, and, and create or and you're like, wow, I can't believe I figured that out. Or this, this is a really good solution. Was it the fishing or was there something else that you kind of maybe didn't have an item that was ready-made? That's, that's such a great question. So bushcraft and sort of that skill of like building, being able to build and, and, and sort of use the, the environment for resources was definitely like my, strength going into okay. the show. I knew that going into the show. It's been my strength in life, period. The ability to sort of ideate and then create something. Just in general, not necessarily in a survival setting, but any any setting. Yeah. One of my hobbies outside of all the 50 million other things I told you <laughs> is I built vintage arcade cabinets, you know, with like 3,000 games inside and two players. I built them, you know, for my son. I built them for other people. So, so I'm, I'm very handy. All right. So, so I looked you up on Instagram and all I saw, man, I'm not going to lie. All I saw were, was like those arcade cabinets and cigars. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dang, this guy was on Naked and Afraid. Like, what did he do? And I was going to, but I didn't know all the other backgrounds. So that's, that's awesome. But anyway, I did see that on your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. So yeah. So the shelter, building the shelter was incredibly important. At the time, I thought that was the biggest failure was that the shelter wasn't keeping us warm at night, you know? And, but looking back on it, that shelter was amazing. I mean, so to put it, you know, I built this sort of debris hut shelter by the last, by the last few days we were there, that shelter had a mud foundation. So I literally built, you know, a wall of mud on the inside. It had a brick wall, a mud brick reflective wall for the fire to, to throw the fire back towards us. It was fully covered, so fully protected from the elements. Couldn't really, with an area for the smoke to leave for the fire that was inside. We had a door that was super strong. In fact, it was so strong that, like, if the med crew showed up, we literally had to, like, take a few minutes to move it out of the way and let people in. I barked trees to, you know, create additional shingles on the on the rear of it, so to, to give it an additional wind block. It was a great shelter. The, the biggest problem there was just, I didn't quite understand how to make a like the, a long fire was necessary when you're naked and you're in a shelter like that for survival. You know, for me coming from Colorado, 
I'm always prepared in the elements of, of you never, you know, you're never making a full length, full body fire anywhere near you in Colorado because, you know, there's a chance you burn yourself up and everything else. Yeah. Wildfires, all that. Yeah. So, so that was a skill that I didn't quite have and it made a huge difference and it made me see the shelter as ultimately this, this sort of fail point when in actuality it was like having, you know, seen other shelters on the show, like, it was very well done. You know, it, it it could rain and we didn't feel anything. You know, it was it was in every way a home, you know, every way a home. Did you feel that sense of like a uh, refuge like you do with your own home? Like, was that that kind of sense there? Big time. I definitely felt it. I felt that sense of home. I felt that sense of refuge. It was like a fortress by the last part of it. It just was a freezing cold at night fortress. But you know, if we could have figured that out, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was the one place where I knew I could go in there. And if a jaguar came up at nighttime, like, it's not getting in. Like, there's, you're protected. Snakes couldn't get into it because it had a mud foundation. So they couldn't, they couldn't get in, you know, to the, to the, to the shelter to try and, you know, steal any heat or warm yourselves up. You know, like I said, in every way, it was a, it was a very well done shelter. And it was something we worked on pretty, pretty hard. And I felt like it was a real great source of refuge. Needed some more, just needed some more knowledge and skills. If I had it to do over again, I could have like made beds and like got us off the ground and got a nice long fire in between. And like, you know, I always look back on it. Like this is what I learned and what I would do differently in that same situation. How is your dynamic with your partner? Cause I'm excited. I know it was just premiered, but that's a big part of this too. It's not just, I mean, dude, this is just still such a crazy, just, format of a show. I mean, we all know how insane it is, but just the element of, that's a huge part of it that not everyone, you can't necessarily always prepare for kind of the soft skills of like emotional and relational intelligence, but that's a big part of your success or failure. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So Rachel was my partner in Argentina. To put that relationship into context, there's a bond between us that like just develops like when people are in a situation like that, that I don't think anyone really like, unless you've been in it, I don't know that you understand. I I, I think it's similar to the way to my dad. My dad describes his war buddies. We, a few years back, we took this camping trip and my dad went to Kansas to see someone that, you know, was really one of his few surviving friends from the war. Uh, my dad was a swift boat veteran. And I remember as soon as they saw each other, it was like, you know, you saw sort of this brotherhood, this sort of thing like that you I've not seen with my dad and other and other situations. And with Rachel, it's the only it's the only time I've ever seen anything like that. You know, I, I would say she's like a sister to me. She's also been you she also understands me at a level which, you know, like Maybe other people don't, even some of my best friends, because as as men, you know, we're sort of taught to subdue our emotions of fear or our emotions of inadequacy. Not that those things are not still there, but we learn very, very at a very young age how to disguise them, how to not show them. Mm -hmm. Rachel is maybe a person that has seen every single one of those emotions and every single one of those aspects has had to. I left her there, broke a promise and left her in Argentina. and. You know, I've carried that around like a 20 
ton weight on my back, you know, feeling that, that, that pain from breaking my word to her. So her forgiveness has been, you know, something that's taught me a lot in life. You know, I, I just, I can't say enough great things about her. She's in a lot of ways an inspiration to me and in a lot of ways, you know, just an amazing friend. I feel like there's family that you, that you're born with and, you know, that you, and then there's the family that you find. And I, I just, I can't help but just feel very blessed that I've found this person. And like, we've managed to be sisters, sister and brother, and like have that type of relationship. And in a world that like kind of pushes you towards superficial ends, none of that's ever been a product of our relationship. Like the whole reality TV thing has never been like, it's a legitimate friendship. It's a legitimate bond. Like, the other stuff is really superficial and outside of it. That story is is unique and it's something that like I think I will treasure for the rest of my life. I feel incredibly bonded with people that I haven't gone through nearly that much with. So I can imagine that this kind of setting and environment and 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 exposure just irreversibly connects you in ways that just you just can't relate to unless you've gone through probably like you said like war or something of that extreme where it's just, we're, we're connected. I, I, yeah, I I can't, I can't relate. I don't think in that way. So that's, that's, that's amazing. Maybe, uh, maybe my wife and I need to go spend 21 days on a beach naked and and afraid. We more or less do that at home, but without some arguments and some, some, there were some, there were some bickering, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but to be expected. Yeah. You, you get down to that essence of, you know, like we went through it. We went through it, man. Like, you know, we went through it. As we wrap up, when you were out there, what did you miss the most about being home? And then once you got home and kind of settled back into normal life, what did you miss the most about being out there? Oh man, that is a fantastic question. When I was there, I missed, I mean, the food was like, we talked about food all the time, you know, like <laughs> anything, chicken wings, some you know, some salty French fries, oh, man. all that. So, so before I, I've been on adventures before thinking about food and I would start crying. Like, but just from <laughs> hunger, I'd buy like my mom's key lime pie, or like you said, some chicken wings. And I'd yeah. literally get a, I'd start crying, like thinking, I cannot wait for that moment. I can't imagine <laughs> this setting though, man, this is crazy. So anyway, food. <laughs> food, yes, food all the time. And then... You know, it's funny, you, you, the outside world recedes to the very edges of your mind. You know, the things that you stressed out about, you know, just in the outside world are just gone. You know, like there, there's, you just don't have time to think about money or like work or bills or any, it's just, it's, there's none of that there. It's all gone. And you find yourself missing if there's anything you miss you find that like the sort of routine of the day you know is something that like when that's gone you know you the day now has its own sort of freeform rhythm that's unique you know that was that was something i missed when i was there and so you know for me it was like when i got like as soon as i could sort of like find a new schedule or a new routine to sort of push the day you know really was helpful it felt like that came back Coming back, there was a lot of things, honestly, that I missed, you know, that I didn't expect to miss. I think coming back, I realized there were things in life that were, that were, that, that made me deeply unhappy, 
this like idea that like material comforts and these things are like necessary to be happy. Like I experience every one of those emotions, happiness, sadness, excitement, like enjoyment. I experienced all of those things out in the jungle with nothing, you know? So coming back and realizing like where my life was at sort of how, how, what the state of my relationships was like, a, like I got divorced shortly after coming back from naked and afraid, which is sort of a cliche actually, like that has actually happened quite, actually happens quite a bit, but coming back, I think, you know, I, I realized that I really wasn't the best person I could be. There was, you know, there were moments in Argentina when I felt so uniquely alive. And so I found like a part of myself, you know, like, cause there was, you know, I didn't have access to the coping mechanisms that I had when I was back home. And, you know, so coming back and like sort of, you know, finding all those things again and, and not really finding the same level of happiness and not finding that same level of like sort of self-enjoyment I, I've missed it. And I think I can remember like picking up the phone and calling Rachel a couple of times and just being like, why am I feeling this way? <laughs> you know, like what's going on with me? And it just turned out that there were, you know, life was not done handing me changes. Like the discomfort I felt in Argentina was going to continue and it was going to continue until I found some, some traction and grew into the person that I, that I, that I wanted to be. I was on a transition point in life and once I started that journey, it wasn't going to end when I wanted it to. It was going to end when it came to its to its conclusion. And so I missed that sense of being in a place where there was nothing else to worry about, and there would, besides just your survival and you know just the very basic things that like coming. It was weird, right? Because you can technically do that anytime you want, right? You can go strip off all your clothes and go live in the woods naked and forage for food, and like. You know, see what happens. You have but... to probably do that somewhere near Boulder, though. <laughs> yeah, somewhere it's a little more accepted. <laughs> I found myself missing it, and it came. It became a part of a longer transition, you know, to to to, to the person ultimately that I'm I'm working to be. And so, you know, it was that was really where that journey started. And there was points where I missed it because, you know, in that environment, it just clarified things so much for me. That makes a lot of sense. And that's something we hear from a lot of adventurers is just missing the simplicity of life. Life gets so complicated when you get back. There's meetings and, you know, all that all that survival stuff is fine. You have clothes, you have food, you have shelter. But it's all the extras that just start to just take over. You know, when, when you get back to, quote, normal life, you might have you kind of answered this last question in a way, but I, I want to ask it and see if there was anything else. You know, what, what did you learn or what do you, what, what change do you hope lasts in you? We make a lot of commitments coming back from, from something like this. What do you want to stick with you through this experience for just moving forward? Are you going to continue to try to introduce new perspectives and new experiences? Are you going to, you know, go spend a week naked every once in a while out in the woods? Like what, what do you, what do you want to stay with Naeem forever? My biggest takeaway from this experience is, you know, I, when I was back in high school, we had to write this life philosophy paper and I was such a jackass kid in high school. man. I, I think I, I took like a diagram of like a cow, you know, to have like the rump rose shank and like, and I put like the world religions on it and I turned it in. I was like, this is my life philosophy. So of course I failed the paper and like 
it's only now that I start to see like the genius of that assignment. It just boils down to just three words for me, which is never give up in the face of hopelessness. Like no matter what, just never give up. Like if you're cold and hungry and tired, never give up. If you're, you know, looking at, if you're on your back and looking at every problem in life is stacked up on you, just never give up. Just there is something about hope and finding the willingness to just move forward in life that is so powerful. What that adventure gave me was like, hey, it's a failure that millions of like, I mean, I don't know about you. I had, I failed and millions of people got to watch it. Right? Like, you know, like millions of people. And but you were naked. <laughs> and I was <laughs> talking about everything else. But it's just one step in the journey. It's not the end. It's just one step. You know, we always look at like, sometimes we see people fail and we're like, oh my God, he failed. As if like, that's the permanent state that that person will be in for the rest of their lives. And it's like, no, like it's not the, 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 the getting knocked down part that's the hardest. It's the really getting back up and taking more of the blows. It's the hardest part. And the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway I got from that is there's so much more willingness in you than like, you know, there's so much more strength in you than, you know, if you just can keep moving forward, despite what life throws at you, just never give up. You, you'll get there. You'll make it. You'll, you'll find the things in life that you want to achieve are much closer to you than you think. And so, you know, that's been my, that's sort of my, my biggest learning from that is there are real fears that we carry in life. There's situations that are bring those fears to the, to the surface. It's how you push past those things. And it's that sort of willingness to, to be uncomfortable and like, just stay with it. Like that's, that's my big takeaway. And, uh, I don't think I'll ever lose it in life. I don't think anyone that, that, that knows me will, will let me, will, will allow me to, to go back to that point. And I can tell you this, my moments since the show have not been without some real hard struggles. If there's one thing that I took from it that, that has been, you know, the lesson or, or to push through through all those times has been just don't give up and keep, keep moving forward, man. Don't give up. Don't, don't, you know, let your willingness guide you. You got more of it than you, than you ever know. And uh, it's worth every scrape and scrap and, you know, naked, embarrassing moment and <laughs> the time that I've done it. Well, Naeem, this is, uh, this has been a really cool conversation. This is, I had high hopes. This is even better than I thought. You, you're a great storyteller. And uh, I could ask a million other things, honestly, but this is, uh, I want people to watch the show. I want people to, see this anytime there is an interview the where there's like a visual element to it that they can go check something out whether it's a documentary or like this a show i really encourage folks to go do that to really put into perspective everything we're talking about so thank you so much for being on the show and just tell be, basically being exposed a little bit more telling us telling us about the experience you know you're just keeping this streak of being naked and, and open going this is awesome well thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and uh and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk i i i uh i think a lot of us despite the fact that you know we're not out in the jungle on television we're in some part of our lives where we're exposed and a lot of us are afraid you know and 
I like to think that, that there's some commonality in that story. So thank you for letting me tell it. Oh, man. We're all naked and afraid. We really are. <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.